So I would really very much recommend everyone to not hide ideas, go outside, talk about it as much as possible, try to sell the product before it actually exists and make sure to, yeah, to, to be there as, as, as quick, as interactive, as open as possible. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hi folks, Tris here. Welcome to the newest episode of the Most Awesome Founder podcast. Today, I'm happy to introduce you VAU alumna, Anika Mutius. Anika has founded Ampion in 2021, together with another VAU alumna, Larissa Leitner. With Ampion, Anika and Larissa are building the first automated headhunter for the skilled labor market. In August, Ampion raised 2.4 million euro in a pre-seed round from several VCs and popular angels from the HR tech and fintech industry. We are looking forward to hear the story of Annika, and we hope you will enjoy the show. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Annika, welcome and great to have you on the show and uh, looking forward to hear your story on this Thank podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Therese. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, as always, we, we start a bit with personal storytelling. So we always want to hear a bit kind of the personal journey of the people we have on the podcast. So uh, can you share with us a bit about your personal journey that you have experienced over the years? Yes, uh, I'd love to. Yes, so um, as you said already, I, I studied at WHU. I am specifically a 30th year at WHU and I did there my bachelor's, my master's. And um, during that studies, um, especially during the master's studies, I mean, I always loved studying at WHU a lot, but uh, still I always had a passion for technology. Um, and therefore, I was specifically seeking for internships that were closely related to tech and also to tech companies and um, really into, into deep tech companies. And um, I remember that uh, I talked um, about this with Christoph Hinat, also from the HU, no. and who at that point in time introduced me to René Reinsberg. And, um, uh, René Reitzberg, I think he's like 17th year at WHU and who at that point sold his company just to, to GoDaddy. And I think it was until now one of the, uh, the most um, successful German entrepreneurs in, in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. He then again introduced me to one of his portfolio companies. Okay. Um, and then what they did was personalized medicine. And so they developed a 3D printing robotic system for personalized medicine. And I was super fascinated, loved the internship, and then apparently just decided to stay there for, you know, permanent work. <laughs> and 
basically combined that with my PhD, okay. um, which was on game theory. Um, and that was a great um, setting for me because um, apparently I was able to combine the, the research with the, with the practical work in San Francisco. And that was really supportive as all of them in San Francisco also did their PhDs at MIT. So that okay. we kind of had a very cool research startup uh, combination style. But still, that was the first point in time when I... Uh, got deeper into the startup world because I was never specifically interested in, you know, founding my own startup. I was rather just interested in technology. Mm. And that was basically my way from, from BHU, from a general business background to coming to, to a really fancy, um, really fancy tech situation, uh, which I loved. And, and, and based on that and based on the PhD that I then finished and find up, I basically came to founding my own startup together with Larissa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very intriguing story. And and just out of curiosity, yeah, because so you spent some time in, in Silicon Valley, which still I would say is the mecca of entrepreneurship even today. Could you maybe tell us a bit what you have learned there, what that you didn't learn at WAU? And so we, of course, we try to give our students quite some insights in entrepreneurship, but I can imagine that when you're for two years at that place, that you still get insights that you maybe didn't expect or that were really new to you. Do you have an example of that? Yes, I mean, a lot. Um, I think it's not specifically that it was different from VHU because I think VHU also relies a lot on network. But what I assumed from Silicon Valley, Valley was always that it everything is super, super fancy and super glamorous. But in okay. the end of the day, it's a lot just networking, meeting people and very basically meeting for lunch, talking with them and having just expanding a great network with investors, with all types of stakeholders. And that's something that was surprising to me. And then maybe um, one other thing which I very much uh, liked there was the positivity, uh, okay. which is sometimes a little different, I think, in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just the attitude that you can do it. Um, yeah. And that's something also with respect to mindset. I think that is really, really, um, really significant, as, as, especially as an entre entrepreneur. And I very much love that. Yeah. Okay. A lot. Yeah. Maybe one more question about the networking. So you're saying, look, my, my stay in, in, at the Bay Area really gave me the opportunity to network with a lot of people. Now, again, and maybe that's my perception, but my perception sometimes of uh, US people is, they're open to networking, but it's also they are quickly searching what can you add to me. And if they don't see the added value of you, they're also quickly losing their interest. So I always, again, that's my my experience. It's very transactional. So they are really mm -hmm. willing to network, but mm -hmm. they also have to quickly see what can you give to me. And if you don't <laughs> are not able to give something, they quickly lose interest. How did you deal with that? Did you have that experience? And if yes, how did you deal with that? And that's a really nice question because I think you are absolutely right with that. It's just rather that I actually like this, not specifically the attitude that you're not interested anymore in people that cannot help you anymore, but I very much like the attitude that if you meet someone for lunch, yeah, then you think before that about three questions that you really want to learn from that person and really make out of the like 
theoretically private situation something that you can learn from and yeah. that's actually something i take out of that time that even though you meet someone privately or even though you interact with people just you know for fun you can still take something out of them which is only meant positively but yeah. still you can learn from them and there's so many people that you can learn from and that's something that maybe goes into the direction that you, you that you were just mentioning so yes kind of that's that's that rather goes into that that way, yeah. yeah. And so it's yeah. a it's a very strategic approach to networking, where you yeah, but also an enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Both of them can be present at the same time. No, no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, let us then maybe delve a bit into the the founding story of Ampion. Eh? So you you founded it together with with Larissa. Can you tell a bit more about how you in the end came to the decision to jointly found this startup? Yes. Um, yeah, it's actually a, a funny story, to be honest. So okay. Larissa, as you said, she is also from WHU. She's uh, 26 year at WHU. And I met her originally for the first time at an event that she organized with the chair of family business together with uh, Najim Kamalanda. Mm -hmm. And um, the event was for the next generation uh, in family businesses. And uh, Larissa and I both come from relatively traditional family businesses. And I remember that we were talking about a shortage of, of skilled workers. Obviously, in the evening, we were talking about also different topics and had great fun together. But um, that was a point in time when I spent two weeks in Germany from my time in San Francisco. And we compared the employer branding companies do in Silicon Valley with German SMEs. Mm. And we've realized that Germany or German SMEs never make use of their main, so to say, differentiation criteria in recruiting which is company culture and the values they have yeah. and i think that was like five years ago when larissa and i first met um, and basically that was it so we were not friends or something <laughs> so we maybe met two or three times yeah really that was it yeah um and then now one year ago uh, when larissa defended her phd thesis and she did it together with nadine kamalanda um, i saw this in those you know emails that are always coming through the uh, email distributor and just just texted her to say congratulations um and then apparently we started texting and then we started doing phone calls um, and we we're talking about the idea that we were talking about five years ago yeah. um chatted a lot that was really really nice and apparently apparently then we decided to meet for a weekend in larissa's hometown she is um originally from south tirol and we so much loved talking about the idea we were so getting crazy about this um you know bringing innovation into recruiting putting values and um company culture into recruiting that we decided to um, give each other one week um, <laughs> time, <laughs> one week time. Uh, and then um, seven days later, we called each other and basically both uh, said yes. And then I moved to, to Berlin and yeah, here I am. Yeah. Well, that's quite yeah. an impressive story. I've yeah. <laughs> and I, for me, it's quite intriguing. So both you and Larissa have this PhD degree. Mm -hmm. Do you have the feeling that in one way or another, this PhD degree has an added value for what you're developing at the moment? Or, or would you rather say, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, maybe we have wasted three years? <laughs> it's somewhere in between, I don't know. But, but Or do you see an added value there? 
Absolutely. Um, I think it's um, it's on different levels, actually, a huge, huge added value. So first of all, we met, yeah, let us know. I think without that, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't be together now. Um, the, the second point is that I think research, fully independent on the methodology that you use, is something, and, and you know that uh, way better, but um, it's something where you really have to, you know, be committed and don't just throw it away because the next A plus journal tells you, yeah. <laughs> just let me, um, and I think that's something that you learn in your PhD thesis that you really have to be committed and that it's not done within, you know, six months. You yeah. just have to have to have to keep going there. And that's something that helps us now a lot uh, when, when founding a company, because that's the same way. It's not always great. It's not always um, to the moon. Yeah. yeah. And then the third thing is obviously also the methodology. I mean, we are developing here a methodology that quantifies company culture, that quantifies um, everything around the values. And that's the huge challenge. And obviously there, our research has a huge impact and helps us a lot to do that in the best way possible. Also, we are working together with Nadine Kamalanda on the entire methodology and also with different um, um, diagnostic professors here in Berlin. So there is a huge interaction still until today with with our product and universities and academia. So so that has one of the highest priorities for our product development. Yeah, so absolutely. And can you maybe explain a bit deeper what you exactly do? Because as I understand it, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, at a kind of the core value proposition that you have is that you try to match employees and employers based on the company culture. Yeah? And so you want to assess kind of the cultural preferences of potential candidates and try to make sure that they match with companies that can kind of reflect that culture. And so in one way or another, you need to match the cultures of these individuals with the culture of the company. And so as I understand, you have quite a kind of quantitative, even academically grounded approach for that. Can you maybe explain a bit more what is the magic sauce (laughs) behind (laughs) that without revealing any secrets? But... Uh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So what we do is how we describe ourselves is that we are the first fully automated headhunting system for, for the skilled labor market that matches skills and values, just as you said. And um, what we've developed is the MPN method. And what the method does is to quantify everything around headhunting, what a manual headhunter does, meaning skills, uh, CV is important, but obviously then also culture and values, personality traits, which enables then a perfect match between candidates and companies. And when I go deeper into um, the technology and into into the product, uh, what we do is that we develop a robo-advisor that you may know from the fintech industry that creates shares for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And we develop that robo-advisor for the HR tech industry. And the special thing about it is that the robo-advisor responds 100% to candidates' needs and candidates' preferences. And this is individual treatment. We kind of fight the mass processing that we have in the market. And um, how can you think of that? Um, if you think of a headhunting interview, you, you know that, uh, everyone knows that. And um, a headhunting interview has more than 100 million different interaction possibilities. 
what we do is to reduce that to only 12 individual questions. Okay. And that means that our robot advisor enables a precise matching between companies and employers and a full individualization of the question because we want to meet people in their individuality and reduce the questions to a minimum because we don't want to annoy people more than they are willing to say and more than they are willing to spend time in it. Which means that um, with that technology, we kind of fight the you know, mass processing that you may know from large job portals and enable with that a fully individualized job search, um, which makes use of the, for us, greatest chance in the HR market, which is um, the human as an individual, and which is a great chance, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually combining, on the one hand, automation, but on the other hand, personalization, which, which exactly. is quite yes. an intriguing combination, because people would not typically link these two things together, but that's what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. Yeah, that's okay. correct. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I want to briefly talk about a, a concept that is a bit abstract, but I think it's actually quite an important one. And, and at the same time, my students always struggle with the concept. So I, I just wanted to hear your opinion. It's the, it's the concept of product market fit. And so if you read entrepreneurship books, it's always like, oh, you need to establish product market fit. And it's sometimes a bit vague what that exactly means. But when you take a look at definition, typically it's saying, okay, a company has established product market fit when they have a group of customers that are buying, using, and telling others to use the product also. So that's, at a certain moment, you want to establish that as a company. Now, uh, Ampion is now like one year old, so I don't think you have already fully established product market fit. That would be great, but I think that's that's not realistic. So as a kind of young company with some first funding, how are you trying to assess to what extent you have already established product market fit? Are you using certain metrics? Do you have a particular approach? Yeah, um, so I've actually just seen a very nice speech last week in San Francisco at, at TechCrunch Disrupt. Okay. I've seen a really nice speech from uh, the Figma founder, and he was talking about product market fit. And what he said was that you need to get the right acquisition channel, the right pricing for the right customers. Yeah. Yeah? And in the best case, having customers that pay 10 times the size of what uh, they are willing to pay. So customers that cannot live without you anymore and yeah. that are willing to pay 10 times the size. To be honest, the last part of it was actually from, from someone else, from the founders of Raisin, who are really supportive. But um, I think that's something you can very much um, rely on, having customers that cannot live without you anymore and would be willing to pay more, way more than what, you current, what they currently pay. Um, but still, I think it's a really, really tough topic. Product market fit is something that is some, some companies are really successful and still after 10 years, they haven't really found it and are not there yet. So I no. think it's a very individual topic. I think especially in the beginning, what we did was to talk to people as much as possible. Um, we were, I think, fully customer obsessed <laughs> with what we did. Yeah. yeah. So we really, we started with a tour um, through Germany, Austria and Switzerland, talking to at least, I'd say, 300 to 
400 HR divisions and management um, management uh, divisions and other departments about our idea and even sold the product before it actually existed, before we were actually a company. I mean, we are now founded like 10 months ago officially. Yeah. And um, so we talked as much as possible uh, to, 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 to the people to have like a really customer-centric um, approach here. And I think what I what we never did and which I'm really happy about is that we never tried to, you know, um, hide the idea. So because I think some founders do that, some founders um, try to hide the idea because they are scared of being stolen somehow. Mm. Um, and I really think that's, I think that's not, um, not a way to go because I mean, there are so many brilliant ideas in the world and yeah. they are nothing without, um, without really an excellent ex execution. So I would really very much recommend everyone to not hide ideas, go outside, talk about it as much as possible, try to sell the product before it actually exists and make sure to, yeah, to, to be there as, as, as quick, as interactive, as open as possible. And that's what we did. And then, I mean, when now coming to a point in time where we way more specifically also measure our metrics, it's definitely the willingness to pay the, okay. the size of the target group. Such, such, um, such points are definitely of highest interest. Yeah. And um, maybe there I can also add one point that I um, I would love to share at this point in time because also we have was really supportive there. During that time when uh, Larissa and I were talking to so many HR, um, HR departments, uh, we were super much supported and I can recommend that to everyone um, by the Access Scholarship that yeah. we uh, got through um, Malte Prettel and Maximilian Eckel which was a huge, huge support for us in, in the first month um, without funding and, you know, just <laughs> driving around and talking to people. Um, that was a huge impact and a really cool support that we received there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's a great, uh, how do you say, instrument that we have in Germany yeah. to help new founders to at least yeah. kind of make the starting period a bit more... Uh, as you say, a bit more, <laughs> less stressful, let's say it like that, because yeah. then you get a kind of salary, not if if I understand it right, um, mm -hmm. from the exist fortune. So that's, I think, uh, an interesting. Yeah. And again, yeah, that was really where our heart is, uh, yeah, combining the, the research with the with the customer obsession. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that, that, that this broad program makes, make, makes capable of. And um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I, I, at least that's that's my perception now. But I think both you and Larissa are quite, I would say, analytical people. You have a PhD. You you rely on, on academic research. So in terms of this customer obsession that you have and this kind of uh, seeking product market fit, to what extent do you use analytical tools to do that? Yeah, so we measure how, so what we do a lot is measuring the, um, the sales channels. So really measuring how much they approve depending yeah. on the product, um, the product outreach. Yeah, yeah. so, um, and that's something what comes first to really measure um, 
the improvements in sales channels and sales conversions in yeah. pricing and willingness to pay. And obviously then, and then it gets to a level that is certainly more sophisticated than in the retention of the customers. Because in the end of the day, especially if we, as we do like a SaaS lösung, in the end, it's, it's, it's a subscription model. The yeah. most important value is keeping the customers, retaining yeah. the customers, making sure that they cannot live without you anymore because you provide such an, such an, such an relevant value to them. So the, the main measures is, is certainly depending on the product development, the, the, the sales cycles, the sales conversions, and then the retention of, of those customers that are in the end of the day, the right target group. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but I would love to, to see a lecture on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really what we also do at VAO. We, we really emphasize to the students that they need to be customer obsessed, yeah. that they need to think about what kind of metrics do I want to measure mm -hmm. uh, related to the kind of industry in which you are, to do A, B experiments, to test mm -hmm. their assumptions. Yeah. So in yeah. that way, I think... Um, that's also the approach that at least we try to learn to our students. Yeah, I mean, it's in the end of the day, all of us it of it is analytical. Yeah, no. it 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 starts from the marketing. It starts it it it's, it continues with the conversion. It it then further continues with the customer success. So all of it should be hundred percent analytical. So to to maybe also answer there your question, there's actually no part of the entire process that is not analytical maybe to take it that way <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the same time to maybe jump a bit on a different topic but i just was a bit intrigued by it i see that both you and larissa are very active on for instance on linkedin posting <laughs> a lot of stuff sometimes <laughs> i really like okay we uh, we look for new people but i would also say also more about your emotional experiences. Um, and maybe I'm just in your bubble <laughs> and that might explain why I see all these posts, but I just wanted to know, is there a specific strategy behind that, that, that you seem to both quite actively communicate in LinkedIn very openly also about what is going on? Is that a particular strategy or is it just that you think it's fun to do? Um, yeah, so for, for me, it's, for, for both of us, it's really um, it's really new to do this because from my personality, I never shared anything on Instagram or past in, in the in the in the past on on Facebook. But uh, now, as you said, we are pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, also, as Empion, we are really active on TikTok because okay. that's our best performing sourcing channel. Okay. Um, but still, I think um, for us it is highly important to get a specific presence for, 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 for our customers because um, so first we can talk really about content-wise topics that um, are relevant to the HR world at the moment, but then we can also make us as founders, as a team, as Empion, a little more accessible and Obviously, that's not just fun, even though probably it sometimes looks like that. No. But it's um, it's quite some work that we put into the posts, that we put into um, building followers, that we put into generating customers. No. And in the end, of, of course, sales strategies are always great if you can um, improve conversions. 
but we will always try to find inbound channels, scalable sales channels, and therefore a specific LinkedIn presence is really, really valuable. And obviously, um, that's also a, a huge um, chance that we may make use of, and that's the reason why we do that a lot. But still also, it's, it's fun. I know that um, people also like to, to, some people may like to read up, <laughs> some are also maybe annoyed, and I'm really sorry for that, for <laughs> being like on your, on your LinkedIn spam, but, um, but obviously that's not just, not just fun, it's quite some work that we have to put into that, yeah. Okay. yeah. And I'm actually quite surprised you're saying that TikTok is your most important sourcing channel, because I would not yeah. think that, because as I understand your, your core targets market at the moment is like the DAG region and HR managers of, of SMEs. Mm-hmm. These are not the people that I immediately associate with TikTok, <laughs> but, or, or how should I understand that? Or am yes, I just that... now underestimating the, the, the no, fanciness of German HR managers that might be? <laughs> No, that's correct. Uh, so what we do on TikTok is obviously to um, to to have a look at the different side of the market to the applicants. Okay. Yeah, and there are in bre- very impressive shifts at the moment in the market. So the new generation actually replaces Google with TikTok, which means that TikTok is used as a search engine, and yeah. which enables us to um, to generate really really great applicants, really great leads through our TikTok organic search, so to say. And um, that's really the channel that works best for the applicant side of our product, not for the company side. So yeah, that's absolutely correct, yeah. (laughs) And do you produce the content for TikTok all by yourself or do you really have support? Because, and and I'm still a bit older than you. So (laughs) for me, I, I would really struggle to think about how should I create content for TikTok? That that's yeah. I'm just I fear a bit too old to, to do that. Uh, you would certainly so, do a great job here. I, I don't know. I feel a bit skeptical, but maybe I should delve into it. But but so is it more that you started experimenting it yourself, or did you really search for kind of professional advice on how to do marketing on TikTok? Yeah, so we we do that fully professionally. We hired uh, people that can first do performance marketing, but second also social media marketing. We try to hire the best best people in that yeah. field. Yeah. And our goal is to be the top one recruiting platform on, on TikTok until next okay. year, which yeah. is ambitious, but which only works with a very strategic, continuous content. And I think our content team is outrageous. <laughs> and they are <laughs> performing better with every single post, which is really, really cool and which makes our um, lead generation then in the end of the day uh, really, really scalable. And that's really cool. That makes it possible for us to deliver candidates within 24 to, to 30 hours to the companies, oh. which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Some incomparable days sometimes wait for for weeks to get a suitable candidate or don't even get it. And that's really cool. I think that we understand what candidates are interested in and really to fully focus on that. And um, and, and that make, makes lead gen way more efficient and yeah, way more appealing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, you were also saying before Ed, that you're very connected to the whole BAU community. You already talked about your connection with Nadine Kamalander. And I think you also do a kind of SME study together with her. Yeah. Or you did it in the past. 
I, I heard that you will be involved in the Euromasters initiative, I think, <laughs> uh, in a few weeks. Um, so, of course, we are always very grateful that people do that. But, but what do you see as added value for Ampion of being and staying so connected to Weao as a school? So I think probably um, my my stories that I just told you are all very closely connected to VHU. Um, so we got so much support um, first and actually meeting us, so getting to know each other, Larissa and myself, and um, then in the founding time, getting the internship. So everything was closely related to VHU. So we would never uh, yeah, skip that connection because it's so enriching uh, for mm. us and has always been so enriching for us. And yeah, as, I mean, there are several points that we are working on together. You just said we are doing the SME study together with Nadine, which has always been, who has always been absolutely um, supportive to us mm. and who has actually became a close friend, I'd say. And um, so it's for us, for instance, when we did the SME study and um, also had six bachelor students writing a bachelor thesis with okay. us from her chair, um, we've seen that um, we could provide it value to both sides. So first, I think the students had great topics. We are doing yeah. also now a a class together in the next semester okay. and then on the other side we have great white papers about the impact of company culture change in different situations for instance one of the bachelor students wrote about startups one wrote about SMEs so we were always tackling the company culture value component which is for us incredibly well valuable because we get the research insights on yeah. studies and on with a with a good with a good data um, base but um, then also we get nice white papers, which is really cool and just a cool interaction. Um, even an intern who came through Rehabu. Um, and so there are, I think, several great advantages that we can get from that. And then maybe also to, to mention is that the tour that we did through, you know, when we, we founded our company, uh, Larissa and I, when we drove to all the HR departments, many appointments were actually scheduled through in praxis, so through okay. the Alumni Association, where we were just texting random people that we've never met before, but just saying, hey, we want to found a company, we would love to get your feedback on. Um, and I think we had a response rate of 95% or something which is yeah. outrageous, which is really, really cool and which uh, supported us during that time a lot. Yeah. And then also you mentioned we will be at your master's sponsoring <laughs> next weekend, which we are really excited about. I think we will be four people from our team coming okay. back to Finder, um, including myself and Larissa, which we are really excited about. And then also I, I have, to, have to mention you see some, some points are coming to my mind all the time. Um, then also the career center, which has been always super, super supportive and which I, I would love to keep a close relationship to, especially to, to Heike Hülpisch, who has always been, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a no, lot but I think probably, it, it also I, shows it, that you nicely are able to leverage all these assets that are out there. <laughs> no? It's also, you have to use them, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so really, really a lot, yeah, yeah, which we are very thankful about. Yeah. Great. Okay, maybe um, to close off the, the conversation, uh, we always ask for some words of wisdom, which sounds maybe quite spectacular, but 
anyway, what, what we all, always ask our, our uh, people on the podcast is, um, what would be your advice that you could give to your younger self? So knowing what you know now, what would you advise to your younger self? <laughs> That's nice, a nice question. Um, one thing or several things? You can do several things <laughs> if you want. If you, have, if you screwed up talking. a lot in the past, you can now. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, so different points, I think. Um, so one thing that I think Clarissa and I didn't do great in the beginning was that we, that we um, of, I mean, it's good to take feedback, ask for feedback, but you don't need to implement it always. That's something that we didn't do great in the beginning because we thought as soon as somebody told us something, we thought, okay, we need to adapt that in the product. So, okay. but that's not correct. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's correct to be open-minded, to hear, to, and to listen to everyone, but it's not necessary to implement all of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's important to really make sure that you, 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 you understand the points, but it's not under important to implement them. That's one point that directly comes to my mind. And maybe a second point is um, just do it. <laughs> That's also <laughs> something that is <laughs> that we we didn't do great in the beginning because um, we were very often waiting for, um, for instance, a pitch deck to be perfect or an intro to 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 wait for. Yeah, because we thought we are not far enough or we are not good enough yet. Yeah. And that's really something that is not necessary. Nobody expects you to be um, to be perfect or to make everything ideal. Mm. So never, never wait for something. Just do it. And that yeah. was something that also, um, yeah, that was also super, super um, relevant to us. Maybe one more point I can just think of is it does not matter how big you think, you can always think bigger. Okay. <laughs> also something, yeah, that we've learned as actually from also, and we have alumnus, alumnus um, who also has invested in our and in our pre-seed round, Julian Stiefel from Tourlane. Okay. And he taught us a lot how to think big. And that was really, really supportive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because uh, your statement like we want to become the biggest platform on TikTok, that, that, yeah. that's quite a bold statement. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's achievable. It's very yeah. much achievable. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe right. that, if that answers the question. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, and I think that these are, I think, especially also for our WAU students, important things because I think in my own experience, WAU students are very analytical, very mm -hmm. kind of execution driven. Mm -hmm. But it, it also sometimes gives them a bit lack of confidence to make bold mm -hmm. moves because mm -hmm. they want to have the data to mm -hmm. be fully mm -hmm. sure that the direction mm -hmm. they're going is okay. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. in entrepreneurship, you simply cannot wait for the data. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's then a kind of level of confidence that you need to have that despite you don't maybe have 100% mm -hmm. assurance that it will work out, mm -hmm. that you simply take the step. Yeah. And that's really a, a mindset topic in the end of the day. So that's a huge challenge, by the way, uh, keeping the mindset and yeah. being optimistic and just keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's something that is that is a huge challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, 
another question that we always ask at the end is do you have any recommendations for about books or podcasts that you would recommend to our audience um yes so um books so i since doing my phd i am not the greatest reader anymore yeah and you don't have to give game theory suggestions <laughs> now because i, I don't know if i want to say that to the audience yeah. <laughs> But I'm really trying to read at the moment Top Grading um, by, by Smart. Um, that's uh, one of our angels, uh, Robin Bela, recommended us to read that because I think it's very essential in hiring the right people for the right job. And that's really a book that I can very much recommend, which I now read and which really gives you a super clear setup, setup for hiring a people, which is absolutely, absolutely elementary. In, yeah. in our stage on hiring the right people at the right time for the right job. And um, team is just the one important thing. And I think that's something, yeah, you may, um, the audience, anyone can read and which is definitely, um, yeah, a good choice. Okay, <laughs> yeah. These were the questions I wanted to ask you. I really enjoyed our conversation. I also really learned something new. I think that this, this importance of TikTok again for me is quite an, uh, enlightening insights so maybe I, I should start <laughs> watching the app at least to understand what is going on there because to be honest I have no clue um, and then let's see what we can do with it uh, so thanks a lot for being so open being willing to give some insights into Ampion and the, the founder trajectory that you and uh, Larissa are doing so thanks a lot for that Thank you for having me. Very much enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, thank you. And to our audience, I also hope you enjoyed the show. And if you liked the episode, please don't forget also to rate us on your favorite podcast player because that's also very helpful for us. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>